This is a special edition of the RTI Press Pass powered by Rocky Top Insider. Here are your hosts, Jack Foster and Ryan Schumper. All right, everybody, welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass special edition podcast talking Tennessee baseball today as we do on the special edition podcast. I'm your host, Jack Foster, alongside Ryan Shepard coming at you just before noon here on Wednesday. And as I mentioned on Monday's podcast, if Tennessee lost on Tuesday, we would be podcasting on Wednesday. Well, that is this, as Tennessee did get bounced in the SEC tournament yesterday to Texas A&M, a 3-0 win for the Aggies makes Tennessee a one-and-done in the tournament after winning the tournament last year and running the table. Ryan, how many hours were you in Alabama yesterday? Well, I did spend the night, so I guess in total it ended up being around like eighteen hours. Or okay, how many hours were you at? Twenty hours. How many hours were you at the Hoover Met Complex? Okay, that one probably seven or so. But you got to remember, there's a two-hour rain delay in yeah night bidding a game. So I mean, if it wasn't for that, it would have been very short. And the game was also like on track to be like a two hour and 20 minute game, a super, super fast game. Uh, but the rain delay kind of extended the stay at least a little bit. Well, a short game is what happens when a pitcher throws a one hitter and the rain delay caused Troy Wansing to not uh, wansing or wansing. I don't quite know how to, I think it was wansing on the broadcast maybe, but anyway, the rain delay caused him not to pitch the ninth inning, but he shoved for eight innings. Um, yeah, eight total innings, one hit, seven strikeouts, just shut down Tennessee, Ryan. Tennessee, yeah, they only had one hit, but they only had one base runner, too. That was yeah. it. A Christian Scott, I believe, one-out single in the sixth inning. Yep. That was it, Ryan. Just a non-existent offensive performance from Tennessee. The pitching staff was fine. Seth Halverson was... Okay, in his start, got the pitch count a little high, but Sewell was good in relief. Uh, you can't obviously blame the pitchers for this loss for Tennessee. It is solely on the offense here. Yeah, certainly. I mean, when you talk about piecing together a game like that, and we were pretty confident it was going to be Seth Halverson into Camden Sewell, and, you know, we would see what would happen from there. But uh, with that combination, you know, it's a pretty good combination. You're like, yeah, you give up three runs, you'll take that nine times out of 10, just about. So you're right. It is completely on the offense. And, you know, it was interesting. We talked about it, uh, I think, in our podcast, or maybe we just uh, wrote about it a little bit. But Tennessee had rocked Wansing or Wansing in the regular season. And that yeah. kind of made it a curious choice as to why he was the starter for Texas a and in some ways. But in other ways, you look at it like soft-throwing lefties have been the guys that have killed Tennessee this year. And a lot of Guys that have thrown less innings uh, than Troy Wansing has. So uh, that's kind of been the formula. Jim Schlossnagel, uh, Texas A&M's coach, talked about how the, even for Tennessee's right-handed hitters, the power numbers are a lot worse against left-handed uh, pitching. But And certainly Tennessee had a handful of really hard hit outs with some bad luck, uh, but just not a, a productive offensive day. You know, there's no there's no way of spitting that when uh, – when you have one hit, but even more so, like you said, you, you brought up a good point. It wasn't just one hit. It was one base runner uh, the entire game. Right, zero walks and just, yes. And the game was going by so quickly. I, I remember watching it, and it got to the seventh inning. And I was like, wow, it's already the seventh inning, you know? I was like, this game's flowing by, just, you know, as we talked about. And then the seventh inning, you had two, three, four, do up with Inslee, Dickey, and Merritt. And I was thinking to myself, if Tennessee's going to strike, now's the time, right? 
and three straight ground outs go down in order in the seventh. Then in the eighth, as you mentioned, two very, very hard-hit lineouts to the infield. Christian Moore to shortstop, and then Zane didn't to third base. After those two lineouts, I know it's just, you know, goes down in the stat sheet as a normal out, but the contact they made and for Tennessee to not catch a break with those two at-bats, it felt like at that point nothing was going to happen. Yeah, I would completely agree with that because it, like the Christian Moore one to start off was a three-two count and a really competitive at bat. He I think fouled off maybe one or two two-strike pitches. Uh, so it was a really it was exactly what you were Tennessee was looking for. It's like these are the type of bats you need more of, and some of that's tough because you know Lansing was going straight at him when he's throwing strikes. It's kind of hard to work deep into counts largely. Uh, but that one followed by the didn't one. What were productive at bats is kind of like. By that point, you're at the back of the lineup. It's like, yeah, it's kind of, it's just not your day. And I think the numbers, it was 104 exit velocity on the Christian Moore liner and then 109 on the Zane Ditt liner to third base. Uh, another, you know, one I think you look at, and it's funny, I was thinking about it during the Cal Starks at back because he was up right after Christian Scott had that single in the sixth inning. And I was like, yeah, this part doesn't play well for Cal Stark because Cal Stark, it feels like about once a weekend, he's going to run into a ball and he's going to hit a big double or maybe a home run. It's like, yeah, this isn't a good, this isn't a good part for that style of hitting. And he proceeded to fly out to the warning track in center field of what would have been a homer at Lindsay Nelson stadium. So, you know, there were like, kind of, like I said, there were a handful of productive at bats that, you know, you would think more times than not would be hits would uh, in the eighth inning in particular, it kind of is like, you would think more times than not, you're going to have second and third with nobody out. And then all of a sudden it's kind of like game on, you got a chance. Uh, but when you have one hit, you have one base runner. Uh, obviously, the offense was bad, and no uh, amount of bad luck, you know, kind of changes that story. No, absolutely correct. And you know, there's not much to take away from this game because you can't break down any pitching changes. You can't break down anything on that side for Tennessee because <laughs> unless Tennessee's pitchers throw a no hitter or a perfect game, it's hard to win when you only get one hit or one base runner. So. It's just a pretty clear story for how this game went for Tennessee. And, you know, we haven't necessarily seen it go this bad for Tennessee's offense since the Missouri series, which was ages ago, it feels like now, back in March. But we, I think you and I knew that Tennessee was still capable of having a putrid offensive performance, and here it comes in the SEC tournament. How significant is this loss for Tennessee? Feels like regional hosting is out the window. Yeah, I would agree with that, uh, but I don't think it's – incredibly significant you know the significance of it is like you said the regional hosting is out the window and even then with the fact you know we talked about Tennessee needed Kentucky to beat Alabama Alabama beat Kentucky uh, even with all that even if Tennessee had won I still think they would be on the outside looking in the day now they would still be playing today the they would have a chance to change that uh, so but that's the significance going one and done in this tournament you know I don't think is the end of the world by any means I think I said it on our podcast previewing it I love the SEC tournament. I think it's a great event, uh, and it's a lot of fun. It's really, really competitive. All the teams, or the vast majority of teams, are playing to win, but it has little significance or little telling of how the NCAA tournament is going to play out. And, and obviously, we've had fantastic examples of that in the last two years. Ole Miss went one and done last year before winning the national title. Two years ago, Mississippi State had a double bye, so they were already in until Wednesday. They got run rolled in their two games, and they went on to win the national title. And there's those are pretty dramatic examples, but there's countless examples just like that. Tennessee, obviously, last year was, looked unbeatable. It didn't look like anybody in the country could play with Tennessee at the SEC tournament, and they lose in a Super Regional. So it's not necessarily telling of what's going to happen the next month and in the NCAA tournament. But 
when you talk about a team that hasn't played well away from Lindsey Nelson Stadium and certainly didn't play uh, well at the Hoover Hoover on Tuesday, and the fact that they're for sure not going to be at home in this NCAA tournament is definitely a knock, and that's kind of where the downfall of uh, or the pitfall of Tennessee's bad performance in Hoover leaves them. Do you think that Tennessee not hosting a regional is extra, I guess, bad for them, lack of a better word, than the run-of-the-mill team just because of how bad Tennessee is on the road? Do you think it, that affects them more? Like, they should have been striving to host a regional more so than a regular team that is ho-hum on the road, pretty good at home. It's such a wide disparity for Tennessee, you know? Yeah, I don't know about like the trying more so because I think everybody's trying. You know what I mean? Like I don't. Yeah, you I don't know what I mean. Anyone... But like it's a, it's a little bit magnified given Tennessee's struggles on the road, big struggles. Magnified on the road for people like us talking about it. I don't think it should be magnified for the team. I don't think the team should be looking at it that way. And Tennessee's coaches should be looking at it that way. It's a storyline uh, because of what you just said. Um, but I don't necessarily think for Tennessee themselves. And yeah, I mean it, it's there's no way to get around it. Like with the way Tennessee has played this year away from home. And I think particularly their inconsistencies on offense away from home that you would much, much rather be at home. I do think, you know, I go, I kind of had this theory bubbling before the season even started and they were terrible at home. I think in some ways, Tennessee's greatest strength is it's pitching and Tennessee's Mm -hmm. pitching is it's, you can fully maximize that strength more away from Lindsey Nelson Stadium than you can at Lindsey Nelson Stadium because Tennessee's going to give up some home runs. I mean, we, we saw it last year. We saw it two years ago uh, in the postseason. Wright State hit a bunch. Uh, Chad Dallas gave up one in game one to LSU early on, uh, kind of in the rainstorm when Trey Anderson came out in the dugout, charging out all, all upset. So from that vantage point, uh, I think – it's hard to say that it's actually an advantage for Tennessee because it hasn't proved that way on the year. They haven't been good on the road. Uh, but I do, I do wonder if coming off a weekend for it where Andrew Lindsay, Chase Dolander and Drew Beam were really, really good uh, that Tennessee can almost ride that wave of really good pitching, or at least it opens up a window for them to ride the wave of great pitching and being able to overcome uh, some of those offensive shortcomings that I wrote about yesterday. And we've talked about a little bit today. Were you yourself surprised with Tennessee's performance against Texas A&M? Did you feel like things were just going to go differently How, given how Tennessee finished that South Carolina series? I mean, the sense that they got one hit, like, yeah, I was I was surprised. I didn't think it would be that bad. But I went into the game knowing this feels like a toss-up game and just about anything could happen, and I wouldn't be surprised. So if Tennessee had gotten four hits and didn't score and lost 3-0, I wouldn't have been surprised. Let's talk about the positive side of things here for Tennessee. They're going to be super fresh heading into the regional. That's for sure. Don't have to use any of the starting rotation this week. They'll head into next weekend. Very, very fresh first weekend of June. So, and and I feel like this is also just going to help them reset earlier and, you know, just get mentally prepared, which feels like is the biggest thing for this team. As Tony Vitello talked about the dugout being tense, that's just not something you can have on the road in a regional. Do you think an early bounce may help Tennessee reset and, you know, just be more fresh heading into the regional? I think it does with the more fresh and, you know, the season's a grind. I mean, it's, you're playing four games a week for three and a half months, just about. And obviously the last, you know, really four months and really the last three months are all very high leverage uh, when you're talking about SEC play and then getting into the SEC tournament. So in that sense, yes, 
there are arms that Tennessee has been worried about not wanting to over overwork. Andrew Lindsey being one. Chase Burns obviously sat out or didn't pitch that Georgia series with arm soreness. Camden Sewell, his arm can use all the rest it can get. So I think there's advantages from the pitching standpoint. I would go to the second thing you said about the tenseness and the, the mindset. I don't think it does anything with that. And to me, that's a really big concern for Tennessee because it just feels like we've seen that a ton. And this is a, when you're talking about a lineup, it's a lineup that has three hitters that have four hitters that have played in the NCAA tournament before. Griffin Merritt played one time at Cincinnati. Um, and then Jared Dickey, Blake Burke, Christian Moore all had roles on last year's team, but it wasn't like they were starting every single NCAA tournament game. Uh, so that the stuff that was making Tennessee feel tense in the SEC tournament is just going to be there again. And we've seen mm-hmm. it, I think, pretty frequently where a lot of games where if they don't have offensive success early, it's hard for them to flip the script. That is what was so encouraging, really, about that game three win at South Carolina. And, you know, I don't know if you necessarily take a step back uh, with what they did against Texas a and but it just kind of was a reminder that that still is a concern and something Tennessee is susceptible to and struggling with. Doesn't it feel like if there's, I, I don't want to call it like, you know, like, but in golf, mental game is a huge part of it, especially if you're competing. If you're not mentally locked in, you are not going to win because it takes tremendous power in your mind to win a tournament or anything like that. And we're similarly with baseball, right? So yeah, do you feel like if game. Tennessee hasn't ironed out those issues by now, is it ever going to get ironed out? I mean, I just don't know how you can have any confidence that Tennessee is going to be dialed in, locked in, on the road, in a regional for three to four games, you know? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I think you can figure it out because if all of a sudden your offense is really good for four games at a regional, I think that just completely changes the confidence of the team. And all of a sudden you're two wins away from the College World Series. I think it, that kind of snaps it. Now, that doesn't mean Tennessee couldn't be tense again in those moments, but I think that is something that could change that trajectory. But entering into the regional, you're absolutely right. I, I think that's a great point, and that's kind of why I made the point about it feels like there's a at least a game. It's gonna be if Tennessee's gonna win a regional, there's gonna win to at least be a game or two where the pitching has to carry them. And the offense just isn't that great. And the pitching is going to have to be dominant for them to win. Uh so that's kind of why I brought up that point about playing in a bigger park and there being a, a bigger window uh, or a more likely chance of doing that for the pitching. Um, but I think it's a great point by you. It's hard to think that it's hard to think that there's not Tennessee's offense is just going to be consistent and really good and not tense for, you know, I guess three games is the minimum you can win a regional and or four or five, well, you know, whatever it, it takes for them to do that. Obviously we'll know where Tennessee is going to head in the regional after all the conference tournaments are over. Do you have any hunch? Do you have any feeling of where they're going to go based off of the weeks and weeks of projections you've been looking at from D1 baseball and others? Yeah, not really. Like, it just feels like there's a ton of them up in the air. Um, I, I would say there's kind of a laundry list of Miami, Virginia, Clemson, Coastal Carolina, Duke, if they somehow wind up in the regional. You know, it's so much of the NCAA tournament. Those weekends they do it is trying to get people regionally based up. I mean, that's why Tennessee was the number four overall seed two years ago, and they had an incredible Wright State team, a good Liberty team, and a good Duke team. Uh, all there. So I, I guess speaking suspicion of one that I wouldn't overlook because I haven't seen anyone predict Tennessee having to go to Clemson to play in the regional. 
And I think that's because Clemson's projected to be a national seed. They're going to be a higher seed. And, you know, Tennessee is going to be one of the better two seeds. So they don't think they're going to match right. up with them. I just wouldn't rule that out because you have already have Wake Forest, who's going to be the highest seeded ACC team. And I don't think they would send Tennessee there. But when you look at that, and then you look at the fact that you can't go play at an SEC, there can't be two SEC teams in the same regional. That kind of, and if you're going to try to do it regionally based, you only have a handful of options left after that. And I'm not sure the committee is going to go, well, Clemson and Tennessee, those are too good to put them in the same regional. So that's one I would just say, I haven't seen anyone project it, but I wouldn't rule it out, you know, being a possibility. It, it wouldn't surprise me. It would be a yeah. great little trip for us. It wouldn't be a good draw for the team because Clemson's been playing as good as anybody in the country, but a nice little two and a half hour drive down to, uh, to Clemson uh, from Knoxville wouldn't be too bad. Yeah, you know, the beach is so great. Like, Coastal Carolina, Miami in early June, that's great. But on short notice, trying to find flights and a yeah. place to stay, that's tough. So maybe we'll just take the easy road and get something in South Carolina, Virginia, or maybe even Morgantown. I've, I've seen that thrown around a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's, that's so. another one. That it feels like they may be falling out of that, but, you know, maybe they'll they'll play their way back in with a good, good week at the Big 12 tournament. So with Tennessee being a high two seed around that, you know, 18 to 20 overall seed range, they're going to – face a lower one seed correct I, i'm right in that estimation possibly but i don't that's what I, that's my whole thing so it's not it's not concrete that's a guarantee it's not concrete it's not like okay. the ncaa basketball tournament where it is very structured we are ranking every team essentially one to 68 it's not like that with baseball they okay. generally try to get it it's a mix of trying to do that and trying not to make teams like tennessee have to travel to stanford to play a regional it's a mix of, of trying to avoid stuff like that but it's already set of whoever wins the regional goes to this super regional, correct? It's yes, already there's no, bracketed that way. Yes, there's no receding. Technically, the way it falls, Tennessee could host the super regional and not host regional. I remember that happened, uh, and I'm not exactly sure what the tiebreaker goes to there. I'm not even. It might just be some of the NCAA awards, but like I remember in 2019, Tennessee uh, went to the North Carolina regional. And if they would have won that, there would have, they would have potentially hosted the super regional because Auburn had upset the Georgia tech regional. And so to mm -hmm. the Tennessee and Auburn, we're going to be two uh, teams that were not top 16 seeds. And if my memory serves, it was going to be something that the NCAA decided. Uh, I don't think there was necessarily like a concrete tiebreaker, um, but you know, that is something that that's possible, but yeah, no, no receding things to answer your original question. Yeah, it's fascinating. You can not host a regional, but then host a super regional if uh, there's another upset in your mini bracket there. So that's cool. Lineup changes. Blake Burke batting seventh after he led off in game three in South Carolina. I thought the leadoff in South Carolina wasn't anything that was going to stick. I, I no. knew, knew that was going to be a one-off. And But the seven hole didn't really surprise me because Blake Burke's been struggling so much and you know, you want Jared Dickey and Griffin Merritt, Zane Ditton and Christian Moore ahead of him in the lineup. Better opportunity driving runs. Your thoughts on that lineup change and, you know, just Blake Burke continuing to struggle here and what Tony Vitello said about it. Yeah, so uh, I think when you go back to South Carolina, the game three, that was more, I don't know the right word, but Maui Huna didn't die for that ball. That ended up being go-ahead run and I think was getting chewed out about it. And I think got moved to the back of the lineup before that. And I feel like it was probably – 30 minutes between game. Uh, let's see. Maybe this will spark Blake Burke put him in the leadoff spot for a game. No, that's, yeah, that's so right. Uh, you're right. I never thought that was anything that was going to stick unless Blake Burke was the best leadoff hitter of all time or something in that game. And all of a sudden he looked great. And I'm sure they would have ridden the wave. So 
didn't surprise me to move him to the back of the lineup. Seven feels like a, a natural spot. Griffin Merritt in the four hole seemed like kind of the obvious person to plug in to his spot in the middle of the lineup. Um, and yeah, Tony Vitello didn't say anything earth shattering about it or anything like that. Um, you know, to me, the one that at this point, it just feels like I was almost surprised, to, maybe not surprised to see it, but I just felt like Tony Vitello was never going to do it. It wasn't like Griffin Merritt has been slumping for two weeks. He's been slumping for six weeks and really hasn't been that great in the whole 10 week conference schedule. Uh, so I was a little surprised that he finally made that move. You know, I, I do think that Christian Scott in the leadoff spot makes a lot of sense for Tennessee, just with how much Malia strikes out and how good Christian Scott's bat and ball skills are and how productive he's been at getting on base. But again, kind of the same thought I had with Blake Burke for at this point in the season, uh, I would kind of be a little surprised to see them make, make that move and shift up the lineup like that. Gotcha. Well, Tennessee will not play again for over a week. Looking at about nine days from now. As who'd you pick to win the win the SEC tournament? Who you got? I'll take Arkansas. I think I got the most pitching, so I'll uh, I'll go with the Hogs. What happened to LSU, man? They have no pitching. It's Paul Skeens and nobody. Yeah, Paul. I mean, uh, the one I want to I, I want to know, and this is I'm out myself and not having followed SEC baseball as close as I should. But LSU, I can't. I think it was the maybe he came in in relief in the Saturday game. They had a freshman bullpen arm who dominated Tennessee, and I remember Tony Vitello talking about it after the game, being like, "Everybody in the country recruited this kid. Everybody, everybody in the world wanted this guy." And I was, I remember thinking, because even then when Tennessee played him, the rest of LSU's pitching wasn't great. I remember thinking, this guy's going to end up being a weekend starter for them by the end of the season. So I don't know what happened to him. I knew they've had a couple injuries. Maybe he was one of them, uh, but. That seemed like a weakness at the time. I remember us talking about it. They might have been off the record, uh, or maybe it was on here after the LSU series where it was like, LSU's lineup, every bit as good as Tennessee's lineup the year before. Their pitching isn't even close. Yeah, and remotely it's close. Just become, yeah, and it's just become even more dramatic, and it's become a major, major weakness and something that has it feeling like it's uh, a big question mark, you know, what LSU will do in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, they may have to score eight, nine runs a game to yeah. make a run and here. They're, so. they're, they're capable to do it, too. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, they're going to be fun to watch. That's for sure. All right, Ryan, that's all I got for this Texas A&M game and Tennessee's early bounce at Hoover. We'll keep it short today. Anything else you want to add? Who you got winning in Hoover? I need your prediction. I mean, I, Arkansas has been the best team in the SEC. I, I think Alabama is going to make the final. They're yeah, at the bottom. I like that they're prediction. at the bottom. Arkansas's top, Alabama's bottom, correct? Yes. So they uh-huh. can face off in the final. Yes. Yeah. That's my they pick. They're pl- I think that's fair. I mean, they're playing. They're playing. Them and Auburn it's... are playing as good as anybody in the conference, really. The yeah. last you look at the last three, four weeks, Auburn a little more extended than Bama ever. Bama ever since their coach got fired. Yeah, I mean, all they all they needed was a coach who wasn't going to purposefully <laughs> lose them games. It's you know, it's all they needed. It's been as. Bad as a look imaginable for Brad Bohannon. How good the team has gotten after you were giving tips to not bet on him. Like, I mean, I don't think it's it's hard to say for sure if he was really throwing games. Obviously, he was doing stuff he shouldn't have been doing. But it makes it look like boy was boy doesn't look like he was throwing games with how good Alabama has been ever since uh, ever since this has been or him being fired. Yeah, no, it's crazy, and they they look in position to host a regional, which is wild. This is best year in Alabama baseball in a you know a long time. So yeah, I know they were really good in the late night in the late nineties, but I don't think they've had a ton since then. So 
I know it was the most, they only had 16 conference win this year, which is good, but you know, it's not like crazy. And that's the most they've had in like over 15 years, I believe. So yeah, that sounds right. It's kind of a Tennessee football situation. Yep. Granted, Tennessee football team was better than Alabama last year, but two programs that were really good in the late nineties, finding their their rhythm uh, in 2022, 23. Absolutely. All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Tennessee baseball press pass special edition podcast. You can follow Ryan at rshump zero zero. That's S C H U M P. Follow me at Jack Foster Media. We'll have your baseball coverage throughout the coming you know, nine days until the regional, and hopefully both of us will be wherever Tennessee goes. The NCAA regional, we'll have to see how that all shakes out. Everybody have a great rest of your Wednesday and your week. We'll see you next time here on the Press Pass.